0: Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Josh, and thank you for inviting me in to share a little bit of God's Word today, for listening in at Valley View Friends Church. I and the rest of the congregation, we do like to say this. This is how we try to live. This is how we try to grow. We are God's people, and we are growing by reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. That's the calling we have at Valley View. Well, we're going to continue our sermons here through the season of Lent. It's not really a Lenten sermon series, but we're looking at some themes that Lent addresses, and one today is denying the self, of self sacrifice. Well, there's a trend among social media stars right now. It's been happening for a little while, but it is increasing at a faster rate, and the trend is burnout. YouTubers, Instagram, and TikTok stars across the globe are quitting their channels. They are finding they just can't keep up with the demands of the collective internet, and I don't blame them. It's not easy to do. It's hard work to keep not only only the interest of their fans, but also the interest of search algorithms that drive new viewers to their channels. It's just tough to do, and they're getting worn out and... (sighs) <sighs> to keep their status, their star status, as content creators, they often find themselves under the ever-increasing pressure to make a, every single new post better than the ones before them. They're finding themselves trapped on a hamster wheel that demands more content that is always more shocking, surprising, and exciting. And notice all those ings. Shocking, surprising, and exciting. They're all, qu- they're all about quick elating emotions that feed the internet's need for a never-ending dopamine hit and self-satisfaction. The end result is a growing group of people that find they cannot meet the demands of the world, they cannot satisfy others, and they cannot satisfy themselves. So they stop. They give up. But that's not the same as surrender or self-denial. People have always struggled to find self-satisfaction. Now we live in a time when some of us are measuring our worth by the number of views, the number of likes, the number of subscribers we get from a post. It's a lot of fun to watch that number of likes and views rise, but it's not a healthy way to measure your worth. If the approval of others is how you find your worth, you'll become exhausted. We've already alluded to that. Very little is required of us when we follow a post or a feed in social media. It's about as unobtrusive as a human interaction as you can possibly have. Imagine if liking or following someone on social media actually had requirements or expectations. What would you do if each like you gave required you to change? We might think twice before we clicked on the next post. Well, social media likes are free, and they will reward you with just as much worth as that. That's to say, none. Today, we're looking at what Jesus says it means to follow him as a disciple, and it requires self-sacrifice, laying down yourself. Unlike social media, following Jesus has a cost. But following Jesus is also the most dramatic change you can bring into your life. While likes and subscribers are limited in defining your worth, you can know your worth when you realize what Jesus has done for you. Jesus loves you so deeply that he came here on earth and he died for you so that you could be set free from the penalty of sin and granted entrance into heaven. But receiving salvation is not like following someone on Twitter or Instagram or YouTube or pick your choice of social media. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, then you are to be his disciple. And being a disciple of Jesus is not easy, but it is the best thing you can do with your life. So, I want to share the text with you now. It comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. And it begins like this. He then began to teach them. This is talking about Jesus. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. We are a lot like Peter. Just a few verses prior to what the text we just read today, Jesus asked his disciples uh, some questions, and he asks, you know, who do the people say I am? And the disciples give some encouraging answers. They're, they're not exactly correct answers, but the people are thinking some spiritual things here. And so, the disciples respond and say, oh, the people say that you're Elijah, or you're John the Baptist, or you're you're one of the prophets of old come back, and... Jesus presses them further and says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter, in a moment of clarity, answers, you are the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Peter got it right. It's a wonderful declaration, but Peter does not understand what that means. Everybody was looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah they wanted, Jesus came to do more than just be the Messiah that you want. He came to lay down his life and to restore all of humanity back to God. Peter knew who Jesus was, but he didn't know what Jesus was trying to do. So Peter fell into a trap. It's a trap we all fall into. Peter's trying to decide for God what victory and what success look like. Oh, okay. I know what's going to what's going to be like for you to be victorious, Jesus. So, when Jesus starts describing that he would suffer and that he would be killed, Peter rebukes him. He says, no, 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 no. That's not how this is going to work. I imagine Peter's thinking, yeah, wait a minute, Jesus, that that's not how success looks. Suffering isn't winning. Suffering looks a lot like losing and and, and you're not going to win if you look like you're losing. And he rebukes Jesus. But then Jesus responds, with a very harsh rebuke. I hope you never have to hear those words where Jesus speaks, get behind me, Satan. And Peter is unknowingly doing the work of the enemy instead of the work of the Lord. And the Gospel of Mark, the last time the enemy is mentioned is in the parable of the four soils. And the enemy in that story, Satan, is described as birds, a pick up the seed that is scattered and sown, uh, pick it up before it has time to take any sort of root on the pathway is where it's scattered, really. We know the seed is the good news. It's the word of God. And, and so, the enemy is described as someone who steals away the word of God before it can do any good. And now here, Peter is doing much the same. Jesus shares that he must suffer as the Messiah, and Peter snaps that word up and he denies it. Before it has a chance to take root and grow. So, I think that's one reason why Jesus is saying, hey, get behind me, Satan. We, you and I, should be careful that we never brush off or dismiss the word of God. Give it a chance to take root. Even with if you read something or hear something in the Bible that you're, you're not sure you like it, don't be one who snatches it up and brushes it away. Let it take root. Give it time. Give God time to work through his word. When we put our idea of victory and success ahead of God's plan, we run the risk of having those same words said to us, get behind me, Satan. So be careful. But Jesus, he gives a simple teaching of what it means to be his disciples, to be his follower. And he says, you'll have victory. You'll be successful as a disciple when you, Deny yourself when you bear the cross and when you follow Jesus. So, let's talk about that first one, denying yourself. During the season of Lent, lots of people, especially Christians, they fast. That is, they give up something, and usually it's certain types of food. Some will give up beef. That's why a lot of restaurants right now are serving fish sandwiches, having fish fries. Um, That's why they're available this time of the year. It's not like February and March, are fish season, it's Lent season, and everybody who's giving up beef wants something else, so they get fish. The first time I ever heard about someone giving up stuff for Lent, I was actually in college. I'd been been around for a while, but I'd never realized people give up stuff for Lent, and I had a friend who gave up chocolate, and I just thought, wow, that is unfathomable. Why would you ever do that? Chocolate's too amazing. Don't give that up, and it looked like All that friend was getting out of their fast was just frustration. They just, always, they wanted chocolate and they couldn't have it. For my friend, that little bit of self-denial was a reminder that their personal desires took a backseat to a higher priority in Christ. And so, Jesus asks us to deny ourselves and to follow him. It's not really just giving up stuff for Jesus. I like how David Garland describes it. He says Jesus doesn't ask disciples, he doesn't he does not ask disciples to deny something to themselves but to deny the self and all your self-promoting ambitions. And how do we deny ourselves? David Garland continues. He says every day we must open ourselves up to God's initiatives and God's control. So often when a person thinks about following Jesus, they think about the the stuff and the habits they'll have to give up. But it's more about denying our very self as the one in charge and putting Jesus in charge of our lives. To deny oneself is to accept God, God's point of view about life. Jesus gave us a key for denying ourselves. Um, that's why I rebuked Peter. It's not so much the get behind me part, as what he said next that I want you to pay attention to. This is a key that we need to uh, pay attention to here. Um, Jesus says, it's there in verse 33, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That's the key. Denying yourself is about turning towards the concerns of God first and putting all the other concerns, human concerns, after that. Later. Normally, we put our own concerns first. That's because they're right there in our lives right now. I'm worried about this. Figure it out, God. Help me. But we put God's concerns first. What do you think more about in life? What occupies your thoughts the most? What fills your time? What do you worry about? Is it human concerns or God's concerns? Galatians chapter 2, verse 21 says, As I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. According to a sociologist, uh, Robert Bella, 81% of the American people. Also say they agree that an individual should arrive at his own religious belief independent of any church or synagogue. That's that's putting yourself first. That's what I'm getting at. Thus, the key, he writes, to putting the key to the paradox is the fact that those who claim to be Christians are arriving at faith on their own terms. Terms that make no demands on behavior. He writes about a woman named Sheila, and uh, she says this, I believe in God. And I can't remember the last time I went to church, but my faith has carried me a long way. And then she smiles and says, it's Sheilaism. It's just my own little voice and I listen to it. I think a lot of us, that's pretty bold, right? But I think a lot of us do that more than we realize. We hear our voice first instead of trying to seek God's first. But if we are the ones with the sole ability to decide what is best, perhaps we have not yet denied ourselves. We've got to deny ourselves. When Roy Delamonte was chaplain at Payne College in Georgia, he preached the shortest sermon in the college's history. And uh, it did have a long title. I'll say that. The title was this, What does Christ answer when we ask, Lord, what's in religion for me? That's the whole title. Big sentence. The whole content of the sermon was one word, nothing. He later explained that the one word sermon was meant for people brought up on the gimme, gimme gospel. When asked how long it took him to prepare the message, he said 20 years. Because why, we often wrestle with our desires first, don't we? In life we will each day be tempted to listen to the power of the voices of I, me, and mine, and I want my way. I must do what's right for me, and I only want what's mine. I, me, and mine put each one of us at the center of our world, and this may make us feel like we're winning right now, but we're earning eternal emptiness if we put ourselves first. When you describe who you are, And what you want to achieve, do you use words like I, me, and mine? Or do you speak in the name and speak the name of Jesus and what he desires over your life? D.L. Moody writes these words, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. We will move forward in victory when we deny ourselves. Let me say this, denying yourself Saying no to yourself is really saying yes to God. Your goal should be that more and more of your life falls beneath that yes to God until one day your life is one continuous yes to the Lord. A second thing that Jesus talks about here, so we're to deny ourselves, but then secondly, he says, bear the cross. So, that comes after you deny yourself. Then you pick up that cross. We must bear it. No bearing of the cross. Um, Know this. Bearing the cross is different from brandishing it, from wearing it. It's not something you put on a... I mean, a lot of people wear a cross on a necklace, right? Uh, Or they have a symbol of it on their clothing or something they possess. But bearing the cross is different from wearing the cross. That's not really what the cross means. It's not putting it proudly on display. Jesus bore the cross. He laid down his life on the cross for our redemption. And so then he says, You need to pick up your cross. It's a reference to self sacrifice. It's a reference, taking up the cross means suffering. Bearing the cross is messy business. In the act of crucifixion, the Romans made the condemned carry the cross beam to the site of the crucifixion. Cicero described the crucifixion as a cruel, disgusting penalty, the worst of extreme tortures inflicted on slaves and something to be dreaded. So when Jesus says, pick up your cross, he's asking you to join the dreaded. And when people described... And when described like this, many people say, I don't know if that's for me. Even Peter tried to rebuke Jesus. He tried to tell Jesus that that, that sort of death isn't God's plan. But it was, and is, and he asks us to bear the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.23 says this, But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. The cross, it's tough. It's not easy. It is suffering. And Jesus tells us that if we want to be his disciples, we must deny ourselves and bear the cross. Charles Spurgeon says this, There are no crown wearers in heaven who are not cross bearers here on earth. J.C. Ryle has a quote that goes like this. Bearing the cross all the days of your life is much easier than one day in hell. Bearing the cross means we bear with suffering. It doesn't just mean that we feel aches and pains of life but we ha- or that we have a problem that can't seem to be resolved. Cross-bearing is more specific. The cross represents oppression caused by humans who oppose the faith and the wit- and the witness of Christians. So, bearing the cross is a test of our faith. And bearing the cross separates the disciples from the admirers. It moves us from just liking and subscribing and thinking Jesus is great to suffering for following Jesus. Larry Osborne tells a story about testing. He says, years ago, I bought a heavy-duty brand-name pruner at a street fair. It looked great. It felt sturdy. The box, advertising on the box, promised superb performance. The salesman told me that uh, never he never had one returned. He says, I thought I got myself a great deal, but the third time I used it, the handle snapped off, and what appeared to be a high-quality, heavy-duty pruner capable of easily sli- slicing through thick branches was in reality a cleverly disguised knockoff it broke when it tried to just break branches the size of kindling. It easily cut through the first few branches and had them fooled. But the moment it was tested on a larger branch, the truth came out. It was a counterfeit piece of junk. It's hard to tell if something is counterfeit or the real deal without first putting it to the test. And that is why our faith must be tested. There is no other way to know the difference between the genuine and the bogus. This testing is not for God, but for us, so that we know the depth of our faith and can grow where it is less genuine than it should be. And suffering reveals the genuine, and it produces wisdom and beauty. At the Nicene Council, there's, this is an a church, important church meeting that happened in the fourth century, uh, there were 318 delegates attending that council. Fewer than 12 get this 318 people there fewer than 12 had not lost an eye or lost a hand or did not limp on a leg or were lamed by torture for their faith wow so what you're reading is that there were what if my math is right 306 there who had been injured in some way They bore their cross because they simply claimed Jesus. But there's something else that is wonderful about bearing the cross. Bearing the cross guarantees victory. G.K. Chesterton writes these words, The cross cannot be defeated, for it is defeat. When we deny ourselves, Nobody else can take us away, right? We've already given ourselves away to Christ. So, we're called to deny ourselves, to bear the cross, and finally, to follow Jesus. That would seem really simple and obvious, but it's a lot harder than most of us realize. Most of us just want to add Jesus to our lives instead of give up our lives and follow Jesus. It's... Really hard to be a follower. S. I. McMillan writes and tells a story of a young woman who wanted to go to college, but her heart sank when she read the question on the application blank that asked, Are you a leader? Being both honest and conscientious, she wrote, No and returned the application. She expected they, they wanted leaders, they wanted dynamic people to go to college. To her surprise, she received the, this letter from the college, written, Dear Applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have a 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it's imperative they have at least one follower. No one likes to follow, do they? But we are called to do so. David Garland, again, in his commentary on Mark, really good commentary, writes this. He says, One cannot live as a disciple the way many people watch television, sitting in a lounge chair with a remote control in hand, ready to switch channels or shows or just change a program whenever something unpleasant, tedious, or demanding appears on the screen. I think many of us, we switch the channels on our faith. Decide today that you're going to follow Jesus. And do what he asks, wherever he leads. So, Jesus asks us to deny ourselves, to bear the cross, and to follow him. And after all that, he gives us a word that is very difficult to live out. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Jesus asks us to gain victory by losing here on earth. He asks us to gain victory in heaven by losing here on earth. We face the temptation to seek worldly security rather than risk our lives for Christ. We live in a world obsessed with winning, and whenever it looks like we're not winning, we feel like, oh, it's a failure. Jesus asks us to lose here so that we can win heaven. There's a little story that goes like this. When Mother Teresa was passing through the crowd through a crowd in Detroit, a, wo- a woman remarked, "Her secret is that she's free to be nothing. Therefore God can use her for anything. Are you willing to lose this world to gain eternity? It's not easy to do. It is the cost of following Jesus, but it's the type of following that will bring about worth and glory and transformation. I want to close with some words written by Eric Fellman. He wrote them in 1986 in the Moody Monthly, and it was about an opportunity he had to travel to China. It goes like this. Eric, Eric Feldman speaks of meeting a Chinese couple in Hong Kong while traveling to China. He says, a friend took me down a narrow alley to a second floor flat to meet a man recently released from a prison in China. I knew I'd be pressed to carry Bibles and literature on my trip, but I was he- and I was hesitant and tried to mask my fear with rationalizations about legalities and other concerns. So a Chinese man in his 60s opened the door. His smile was radiant. His back was bent, almost double. He led us to a sparsely furnished room. A Chinese woman, about the same age, came in to serve tea. As she lingered, I couldn't help but notice how they touched lovingly and looked at each other. My staring apparently didn't go unnoticed, and soon they were both giggling. What is it, I asked my friend. Oh, oh, nothing, he said with a smile. They just wanted you to know that it was okay. They're newlyweds. I had learned then that they had been engaged in 1949 when he was a student at the Nanking Seminary. On the day of their wedding rehearsal, Chinese communists seized the seminary. They took the students to a hard-labor prison. For the next 30 years, the bride-to-be was allowed only one visit per year. Each time, following their brief minutes together, the man would be called to the warden's office. "'You may go home with your bride,' he said, "'if you will renounce Christianity.'" Year after year, this man replied with just one word, No. I was stunned. How had he been able to stand the strain for so long, being denied his family, his marriage, and even his health? When I asked, he seemed astonished at my question. He replied, With all that Jesus has done for me, how could I betray him? The next day I requested that my suitcase be crammed with Bibles and training literature for Chinese Christians. I determined not to lie about the materials, yet lost not one minute of sleep worrying about the consequences. And as God had planned, my suitcases were never inspected. What a powerful picture of Jesus' call. If you want to gain your soul, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow Jesus. What will you do? Will you follow in that way? John Wesley's covenant prayer demonstrates a level of sacrifice and devotion to Jesus that's been rarely matched. How many of us can say that we have asked for suffering in order to experience humility or that we've asked for poverty of spirit that Jesus describes in the Sermon on the Mount? This prayer forces us to ask how committed we are to God's will in our lives. Are we willing to suffer for Christ? Are we willing to submit other desires, other goals, our desires and goals and achievements to the larger purpose of Christ transforming us? So I want to close by praying Wesley's prayer. Lord, I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, You are mine, and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Go with Jesus.